So uh, if you're new here, let me tell you something about this community. We really believe that God is active and alive and he's working and he loves to work when his people come together. So we think he's really doing some great things this morning. We're going to pray and I'm going to have a moment of silence for you to pray for the person that just told you their name, all right? That God would meet them here and that the Lord would work through their cynicism, their doubt, their questions, their pain, their story, and actually all those things would conspire to hear what God has for them today. Is that a worthy prayer? You with me? All right, let's pray. Lord, as we get ready to open up your word, we pray for miraculous things to happen in this room right now. And would you hear the prayers of your saint for the people they've just met? Amen. So let's dive in. So we have, we just read the Apostles' Creed, and we've been studying it all summer. It's a creed that goes all the way back, well, 300 years after the death of Christ is our first full record of the creed, but we have pieces of it that go all the way back to the first generation of Christians. This was a creed that helped Christians then and us now to get a handle on what is this book all about? What is it that we really believe? It's the anchor in the midst of the storm. We've talked about that this summer, the storm of life, your life, my life. Your life is a storm. You know that. If you don't know that your life is a storm, that means your life is somebody else's storm, all right? And they're dealing with what you don't want to deal with. So that it's an anchor in that storm. It's also the lanes that help us stay on track when life is fast and furious. And I'm always trying to think of other ways. Have you ever been, did any of y'all go to Williamson County Fair? Uh, did you? You didn't go? Some of you didn't. Whenever you go to the fair, they always have this thing where you can put on a harness and they got these straps and you're on a trampoline. Have you seen this? And you bounce like go and you do flips. Have any of y'all seen that? Well, y'all don't really get out, do you? It's sad. It's very sad. The only thing you get out for is church and worship and prayer. <laughs> y'all should be preaching. But it's this, this apparatus where little kids especially, they, they get them and they pull them way back and then they let them go and they just go just shooting through the air. And the straps, which are like giant rubber bands, keep bringing them back, keep bringing them back. That's what the creed does. The creed, we know we're rocketed into life in the creed, these truths that we claim and we put our belief in, our faith in, keep bringing us back, keep bringing us back to who we are, to what this is, to who God is, and the life that we're living in this world. So today, is our last uh, sermon in this series before we jump into the book of Acts next week. Um, and it's the part of, uh, it says, we are forgiven, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. But before we dive into that, <clears throat> let's have a little fun. Do you remember the first time, like, you were kissed? And I'm not talking about grandma, you know? <laughs> I'm not talking about when mama gives you a kiss before you go out the door to go to school. I'm talking about a kiss. Like, do you remember the first time you were kissed by somebody that you were like, thank you, Jesus, this is happening? <laughs> do you? Do you? You got that in your head? No? Okay, I realize that everybody in here under 25 that's single, you've never been kissed. <laughs> we're all acknowledging that, all right? We, we know no, think about it for a minute. When that happened, what did you do? Like, did you look at your watch and go, I am busy. Like, how long is this going to take? Or did you think, do I have to kiss them back? 
If the person that's kissing you, you don't want to kiss them back, that's not the person you should be thinking about right now, all right? I'm talking about a real kiss. The only response to being kissed by a person that really matters is to kiss back, right? If you don't know how to kiss back, that's a bonus session after the service today, all right? (laughs) I will teach you about that. That's all we're talking about today is that the whole story of the gospel is that we are being kissed by God and he invites us to kiss him back. That's it. In fact, so much of many of our traditions and unfortunately a lot of church history is just the opposite of that is that life is fighting hard to figure out how do I kiss God in such a way that he's going to bless me or he's going to be for me or what do I need to do? How should I live sexually? Or how should, what should I do with my money? Or what should I do with my time? How many prayers a day do I need before I appease him to where he's for me? And the scriptures tell us that there's this powerful thing in our life called hope. And many of us believe that the journey to hope is us doing something. And so our whole lives are laboring hard to be disciplined and to be good and to be appropriate and to be good little Christian boys and girls so that we can generate enough hope in our lives that maybe it'll transcend the grave. And I'm telling you, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we have hope and our lives are lived as a reflection and a reality of the hope that we already have. That's the gospel. Our pockets have been made full of the riches of the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus is saying, I dare you to go spend it. You with me? So, forgiveness, resurrection, life everlasting. We talk about forgiveness a lot. Forgiveness is brought about by the death of Christ, so that the Jesus that kisses us, he takes all our sins, all our brokenness, all our failures, and look what he does. Before he grabs my face and kisses me, he takes all that junk and throws it over his shoulder and then slaps one on me. He says, I've taken your sin off of you. You are now clean and pure and made holy. And I will never look at that again. That's what your Jesus does when he went to the cross. It is finished. But then it talks about resurrection and life everlasting. If you're new to Christianity, what this is talking about here is what it's saying is that there's coming a day where the Jesus who ascended into heaven is coming back. He's coming back. And we, as a body of believers, this is a big deal to us, that our Jesus is returning. In fact, if you go to the end of Isaiah, there's this beautiful picture of the return of Christ where God is establishing his kingdom here on earth. And it says, literally, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. So if you think you're going to be floating on a cloud somewhere, you know, and never, never land when we go to heaven, Jesus is making a new earth. And I've already told him, look, I want to be in Southern California, right on the beach (laughs) without sin. That just seems like ideal, doesn't it? (laughs) Listen, I'm just going to read you a couple of passages because I don't want to talk a lot about, you know, all this return as much as how do we live in light of that? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is verse 16 through 17. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will, will rise first. You hearing this? The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, 
will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Man, that, that would be fun just to stop and spend the next half hour talking about, are you ready to fly? Like, because that right there is outrageous. What does that mean? Is it symbolic? Is it literal? It's great. Just don't miss the fact that he's coming back. And when he comes back, we're going to be with him. And that's a big deal to us as Christians. In Revelations chapter 1, this is verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The whole world will know that he's coming. Then in John chapter 14, verse 3, this is Jesus actually talking about his own uh, return to the comfort of us, his people. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. That he's promising that he's gone away in preparation, but he's coming again. And then in Hebrew chapter 9, verse 28, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly awaiting for him. That what it's stating there is he's coming back and our, our life position now is that we are eager and we're eagerly awaiting. It's a big deal. He's coming back. And scripture talks about it a lot. In fact, it talks about it so much that it actually talks a lot about this question right here is, can y'all see this color in the back? Can you see that? Oh, in the back? Can you see it? Can I get a witness? Amen. All right. So this is now, because that's the word, now. And Jesus says he's coming back. We don't know when. It, could it be today? Yeah. I mean, could it be tomorrow? Yeah. Could it be 100 years? I don't know. Matter of fact, Scripture uh, really warns us, says if there's anybody that's telling you, I know when Christ is coming back, you should be very suspicious. Because Scripture makes it very clear nobody's going to know the time, the date, when Christ is going to come back. The question is, what do we do between now and then? What should my life look like? And it's a real simple question to to answer, if you go to Matthew chapter 25, it says, we are like 10 virgins. So Chad, if you'll close us in prayer, now that we got that all cleared up. <laughs> no, it really does, I'm serious. It talks about this, it says, Jesus himself compares us, the bride of Christ, those of us that know Christ, that this in-between time between now and the return of Christ is like 10 virgins. And what he's doing is he's taking a cultural story and he's, he's masterful at this and he's trying to help us understand through the lens of culture what it means to wait for the return of Christ. See, in that time, if two people got married, it typically meant that two families came together and they arranged for their children to get married. In fact, at that family gathering, maybe the first time that uh, the groom and the bride actually have met one another. But there's an arrangement that's made and there's an agreement that you're going to be my bride and I'm going to be, you know, your groom. And at that moment when they agree, they're engaged 
You could even say that they're married. And then the groom would go back to his father's house and he would prepare. And what he was preparing was a lot of times he was building an addition onto his father's house so that he can start his own family. And in this preparation, he is preparing for the day when he will have his bride with him. Everything he's doing, all the time that he's spending, all the planning that he's making is all about a future that is not here yet. Well, the bride, she goes back, she goes back to her parents' house and she gathers around her, her bridesmaids, and they all put on cowboy boots and cowboy hats and they march through Nashville. <laughs> now, is it clear? Now, you understand? No? Okay, I thought that would make it clear. I just, I love just seeing these groups of eight to 10 women walk through Nashville. It just warms my heart, you know? I just, I'm, I, you know we're missing out. You know that, don't you? Somebody's making a lot of money on these things, and why not us? Why not? Why not us, all right? Oh, I digress. If it was just us sitting around talking, we would talk about this for an hour. I'm, we would. Creative ideas on how to help these brides have a rich and fulfilling life. Um, but in the time of Christ, the bridesmaids would all gather around the bride and they had a job. And that job was to start packing the bride for the coming of the groom. Well, what are you going to take? What are you going to need? And also, what are you going to put on when he comes? Like, well, how are we going to fix you up? And they were all practicing too. What they were practicing was called the light of dance or the dance of lights. And what would happen was when the groom had everything ready at his father's house, they would plan this huge party and then him and his groomsmen would walk into the town and they would blow the shafar. You know what I'm talking about? It's that big ram's horn. And it meant the groom is coming. And immediately the bridesmaids knew, hey, we've been waiting for the sounding of the horn. We knew it was coming. And we've just been waiting for it. And as soon as it happens, they rush and gather around the bride. They dress her. They put her on her makeup. They get her ready because the groom is coming. And then they go out and they meet the groom and all his groomsmen. And they do the dance of lights that they've been preparing. And it's a celebration. It's preparation and celebration. And then they all together gather up with the groom. And they head back to the groom's house to celebrate for two weeks. That's where Bonnaroo came from. All right. Great music, great bands. Got a little out of hand at Woodstock, but no, you understand what's going on here. So when Jesus says that we are like the 10 virgins, what he's saying is, is that we are the community that has altered our lives in preparation of the coming of the groom. That it's not a small thing. It's like your whole life now is in preparation for the one who loves me. The one who kisses me is coming for me. And my whole life now is shaped in that way. My money is shaped in that way. My career is shaped in that way. My relationships with other people are shaped in that way. The way I forgive is shaped in that way. The way that I dedicate myself on my vacations and my free time is shaped in that way. Everything, how I view myself, my own self-identity is shaped in that way that the groom is coming back. It's, it's crazy. Jesus was giving us an illustration It's hard for us to understand that it would be impossible for us to imagine a bridesmaid in that time to hear the shafar and go, are you kidding me? 
Now, now, when the last episode of Game of Thrones is on, now? Are you serious? That would be ridiculous. Or for a bridesmaid to not be prepared for the coming. That's, that's just outrageous. I got to tell you, I've done a lot of weddings. Man, I don't even know how many I've done. It's got to be in the millions, you know? <laughs> I've really done a lot. I mean, I remember it was like the second summer we started Midtown. I had 14 weddings in one summer. I, why, I, that shows my unhealth. That doesn't, don't go, oh, you're amazing. No, that meant that I was not amazing. Like, I didn't know how to say no. But that summer, I never, I never, in all the weddings I've ever done, I've never seen the bride coming down the aisle and one of the bridesmaids go, hey, how long is this going to take? Never. I've never seen a bridesmaid go, you know what, this, come on, you didn't say I had to stand up here for 20 minutes. I'm just going to sit over here and when you think you're close to finishing, would you give me a nod and I'll get back up? I've never seen that. I've never seen bridesmaids go, you know what? If we're going to have to be there long, let's just take cocktails up and just, you know, pour in each other champagne while the wedding. That's never happened. In fact, I've seen just the opposite. When groomsmen and bridesmaids are in a wedding, they are dedicated. Like they are committed, even to their own peril. Yes, I would love to, if I could just take photos. I would love to write a book one day about all the people that have passed out in weddings that I've done. <laughs> Can I tell you just one story? <laughs> so we did, we did this, I did this wedding, and they had this like five-piece orchestra that just set up right over here. It wasn't in this building. This was years ago. They're probably, you know, they've gone on to be with Jesus now. So, uh, but this five-piece orchestra and so there was a groomsman that was just struggling. Like, he's so committed to the wedding. I'm in. He's locked his knees. Mm, big mistake. And planked into the orchestra pit. <laughs> That's not the best part. Hang on. <laughs> Instruments go everywhere. It was impossible to avoid. Even when he hit the marble floor. Yeah, it was a moment you wouldn't have wanted to miss. <laughs> Here's the best part. The father of the bride jumps up, snaps his fingers, and three other guys, I guess they were his bodyguards, all ran, <laughs> one, each grabbed an arm and a leg, and they carried him out like this to the side door, put him in the hallway, and all came back in and sat back down. <laughs> I swear to you, it happened. I'm like, I live for moments like that. I gotta tell you, I just like... There is no other place I would want to be on the planet right now than right now seeing that father of the bride come in looking so satisfied that he took care of the problem. <laughs> Don't worry, the groomsman lived. I saw him later at the party. The point that I'm trying to make is Jesus is trying to make a ridiculous example. There's no way a bridesmaid would not live her life in preparation of the coming of the groom. And Jesus is saying that about us too. How ridiculous it would be for us, the bride of Christ, to not orchestrate everything in our lives around the return of our groom, the lover of our soul, the one who kisses us and makes us new. So in 1 John chapter 2, this is verse 28, it says, now dear children, continue in him, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him as coming. Confident and unashamed. 
So I got to tell you, I just want to apologize for those of you that have been spiritually abused in your life and the church has not been a safe place. I get it because it's got people in it and people aren't safe. You just got to, but the church sometimes has taken this passage of scripture and said, will you be confident and will you be unashamed when Jesus parts the clouds? Examine your life and to see if your life can stand up to have confidence and being unashamed. I got to tell you, honestly, that scares me to death. If that's what it means for Jesus to come back is for me to stand confident and unashamed. I'm not sure I'm confident about anything in my life. And I certainly don't think that I'm shame free. I don't. When I read that kind of passage, here's what I think of. When I was in college, my roommate, Charlie Morgan, loved this guy. He was a brilliant student. We were a little crazy in college, all right? And he came running in one day and slammed open the door And I said, Charlie, what's happening? He goes, my parents are here, unannounced. And they want to come up to our dorm room. Yeah. Y'all are just too good of people to know that was a bad idea. That, That dorm room was not confident and unashamed. We had to do a lot to cover up our lack of confidence and our shame, all right? Is that the coming of Christ? Your parents showing up to your dorm room and not you being prepared? Is that what that means? That Jesus is coming to catch us? Like, and when he catches us, he's like, uh, why did I go away? Look what you've done with yourself. So when we read scripture, we, we have to be very careful because the chapters and the verses, like... John didn't put the chapters and verses in there. That came later so that we could find stuff in Scripture. And so sometimes we get stuck when we, when we end the, a chapter, we think that's the end of the thought of the writer, when in fact the writer wrote this seamlessly. Are you with me? So for me to help you understand what he's talking about when he says confident and unashamed, I have to go to chapter 3 and knit the two together. Listen to what chapter 3 says. Here's where our confidence and our unashamedness is rooted in. See how great, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. There's our confidence. There's what we're unashamed in, is that God's love for me is so great And it's so lavished upon me that I can't wait for his return because my confidence is not in me. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Just follow me around for a couple of days. I'm a mess. But his love is not a mess. His love loves to find messes. And then he lavishes us on us. It says the reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not been made known. Like when we're made new, what is that going to be like? I don't know. But we do know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. I like that. For we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope, and you should underline that word have, all those who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We don't do something to get the hope that I can live a life that's confident and unashamed. I can't get there. But if he gives me the hope 
because he's met me in the place that I need his confidence and his love, then out of that hope, I can live a life like you wouldn't believe. See, because when scripture talks about hope, we have to understand what hope is. When I was a kid, we used to get comic books. And uh, in the back of the comic books, there were all these advertisements where you could send off for stuff, but you had to like mail them money and stuff, and then they would mail it to you. Any vintage Christians here? Do y'all remember those days? You remember that? And you could get stuff like uh, spider monkeys. Like, y'all know that? It's like Aquarius. Like, you put them in your aquarium, and they're like, I don't know. I never ordered them. But another thing was you could order x-ray glasses that if you put them on, you could see through walls. And, you know, all these adolescent boys thought if I put them on, mm-hmm, oh, oh, you know, you can imagine because who's reading comic books but pre-adolescent boys. Those x-ray vision, that's what hope is. Hope, it changes what we see. Because hope actually gives us a new vision of the world that we live in because we have hope. And hope, in Romans chapter five, it says, hope gives me the vision to see that God is pouring his love out into my heart. And when I live in that hope, now I become a person who wants to bring that hope into the world that I live in. So when I see dark things, I bring hope into those dark things. When I see dark places, I see a possibility for the work of God in those dark places. When I see what the world is saying as a tragedy, I see as an opportunity for hope to come and bring healing and renewal. When I see things that the world says that will never work, I see hope that God can work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I have the light like the bridesmaid, and I get to do the dance of light, that the celebration is that God has come into the world and he has put his light inside of me, and until he comes back, he wants me to let that light shine. That's hope. So how do we live? We live extravagantly. We do. Bringing that hope everywhere. And here's what's fun is that this is where you go, well, what does that mean? How do, how do I live out my life? And a lot of times we'll talk about people that are starting ministries in Africa, and sometimes we'll talk about you know, inner city work or something that's so extravagant that it's so far outside of our reach. But do you know that one of the most difficult places to bring hope is to the person sitting right next to you? In your own marriage, in your own friendships, in your own work relationships, in your own neighborhood, or even right here at Midtown. And I just want to encourage you that when we, when we think about ourselves going into the world, we have to be careful that we first think about this family. It's kind of like, I don't starve my children to feed the children of the world. I care for my children. And out of the abundance of that love for them, now I feed the children in the world. And so I kind of want to stop now because I want to give you a very practical way of how we as the body of Christ can live in hope till Christ comes back right here, right now. Are you with me? And uh, I'm going to invite Jasmine Davis to come up and join me, who just came in there. Thank you, Jasmine. Hey. If you don't know Jasmine, uh, let me introduce her uh, to you. See you later. Uh, so Jasmine's on our staff here. She is the director of family ministries here at Granny White. But she's more than that. Uh, in fact, one of her roles, uh, Midtown is a six-campus uh, congregation movement. If you don't know that, we have campuses all over the city. 
Uh, one of the things that we do for all of our staff here is we're constantly developing our staff, and every staff is a part of a co-op. And those co-ops are specifically designed to train our staff how to grow um, in what God has called them to do. We want them to be excellent in what they do. And Jasmine leads our co-op that trains our children uh, directors all over uh, the city and our campuses. So she doesn't just run the family ministries here. She also is a leader among our leaders. But more than that, uh, Jasmine is um, a great neighbor. And uh, she's also uh, just a passionate believer in Christ and cares a great deal about what God has called her to do here. And what you're about to hear, uh, I want you to be very careful that when you hear her talk, that you don't let it bounce off of you. Like we all have defense mechanisms. Would you just put those down for a minute? Don't assume that you understand what she's saying. Listen to what she's saying, lean into it, and see how the Lord might meet you here this morning. But Jasmine, great to have you here. Thank you, thank you. Hey, tell me about this babysitting ministry that we have <laughs> uh, called Kid Town. <clears throat> um, yes, the babysitting ministry. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so kind of what I said to you in the first service, you guys are going to see a lot of me. I'm going to be here the next two Sundays as well, and I... Kind of the purpose of this, um, you'll hear about, I want to give you guys a glimpse into Kid Town, and I kind of want to start um, telling you what Kid Town is it and what it is, and so um, this Sunday, my theme kind of for this Sunday is called, We Don't Do Child Care. Wait, you don't do babysitting? We don't do babysitting. Oh, okay, I got that wrong, sorry. <laughs> that is not what we do. Um, and just to put it simply, and I want to make sure when I'm up here, I don't want to use churchy language. I want y'all to know exactly what I mean in simple terms. Um, the goal of my ministry and what we do downstairs is I want children to know Jesus so they know who they are, period. Because when you know Jesus, I know more about my creator. I know who created me. I know who I am. And I go out into a world knowing my name instead of allowing it to name me. And so that's the goal there, is for them to know Jesus and to know who they are through him. Yeah, it's, we talk a lot about our prayer for our kids is that they would go out into the world as, as ones that are loved instead of ones that are looking for love. Uh, they know that they, who they are instead of trying to find out who they are. And that's a passion of ours with our children's ministries. Yeah. yeah. And so we always say, you know, we don't do childcare. So we do what you do up here. We are worshiping. Our kids worship. They get teaching. Um, they do crafts like y'all do up here, right? Yeah. Oh, we do crafts. You do crafts. Yes. Um, fun snacks. We, we had, we did. We had those little peeps at Easter that yes. we, we all ate those, didn't we? Yeah. Right. I feel like you need to have like some goldfish for your we did. people. Was anybody and... here the week that we gave out those jelly beans that came from that game? What does it taste like? Have you seen it? No. <laughs> we did that too, yeah. Well, we do, we have fun, and that's another part of it um, that's unique. I love to, I like to think is beautiful and unique to this place is um, I have a desire for our kids to think church is fun, which sounds crazy, right? Like, but here's the thing. And this goes across the board for grownups too. When I have rich community, when I have people, I'm sitting in this chair every Sunday. So when your kids come through my door and walk through my door, if they feel loved, if they're having fun, they get to come up to you and say, Kid Town was fun, I wanna go back. That's my goal is 
even if a lesson, and I say this to say, we don't take ourselves too seriously down there. Right. If a lesson goes completely haywire and kids are just like eating the M&Ms for M&M bingo or we threw a watermelon once off a ladder for armor of God, like the helmet of salvation exploded. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, and they just Why ate don't you it. Tell and me we you're ate it off the things. floor and it was here. great. And we had we a great time. But I guess I say that to say your kids will remember how they feel when they left this place. And that, for that age, really determines, you know, am I comfortable and do I want to go back? So, Jasmine, how many kids do we have in our Kid Town Ministries? Um, we could... I'm, y'all, I cannot wait to see what the numbers were this Sunday. I think we broke another record. Oh, nice. So, I, for, I, my apologies already if you're an elementary kid that is in the service today. Um, but, I mean, we run about 160 kids a Sunday. Oh, um, my goodness. Which is a lot. It's the most of any of our campuses. And we love it. I love it. Bring it. This so here, awesome. here's what I want you to grasp, uh, just in your mind's eye. She ministers to one third of the people that walk onto this campus every Sunday. Hmm. Yeah, that blew my mind. It doesn't blow in any of their minds. They're they're great. They're <laughs> fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean that's a lot. And I think that another thing I shared with the first services, the Lord is really. I was thinking about, and I'm just gonna put it this way. I don't feel like I need these anymore. Um, the idea of serving, right? And usually when we think of serving or service, the word sacrifice comes to mind. And, you know, and often I do this, yeah, well, I'm serving this Sunday. I'm doing this. And, you know, I'm really sacrificing in order to do that. Um, and so now I do need my notes. I looked the word sacrifice up and it blew my mind because I want to read you all this definition of the word sacrifice. The act of giving up something valued for the sake of something more worthy and more important. So the act of giving up something valued for the sake of something more worthy and more important. So I'm here to ask y'all, when you think of service and you think of even that word sacrifice, whether it be Kid Town or in your life, um, not approaching it with this posture, but approach it with this posture. What an opportunity, what an honor. I am going to do something that is just gonna be more valuable and more important. And I think I say a lot, and it's just a lot of, a lot of words, right? A lot of things. So Kid Town is this, it's not this. And I, you know, actually it was like, do I share this story? And I, I thought about it last night. I shared it with the first service. I want to share with y'all a story that for me really defines what value is. And probably about two years ago, I was a year, year or two ago, I feel like, pandemic has just <laughs> ruined my sense of years. But I was out here in this hallway and I ran into a mom whose kids had aged out of Kid Town, but had them for years, known them for years. Just stopped her, gave her a hug. How's it going? How are the, how are the kids? And she just got this look in her eye and just burst into tears. I said, what's going on? And she said, well, you know, so-and-so is really having a hard time. It's been a hard year. And it's hard to make friends. Um, she's having a hard time with identity. And it's, it's, it's grief. She was overcome with grief. And I went and I saw two of my leaders that knew this family, then probably known these kids since they were in diapers. Um, and they, they serve here every Sunday. And I said, hey, I just had a conversation with um, this mom. If you think about it, guys, we've got to pray for this girl. And if you see her, you need to talk to her. Mm. 
So about a week later, one of my leaders um, ran into her outside. I was like, hey, 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 you know, grabbed her and was like, I want to catch up. want to hear about you. How are things? And they were talking. And he looked at her and he said, you know what? You know what I remember about you? I remember that when I was teaching about the life of Jesus and we got to the crucifixion, it was the crucifixion lesson and I was teaching it and I looked over at you and you had tears streaming down your face. And she just looked at him and said, you remember that? And he said, yeah, I, I remember that. And she kind of lit up and she smiled. And I just want y'all to hear that because in that moment, that leader had the opportunity to say, I know you're hearing a lot out there. And I know there are so many things trying to name you, trying to tell you who you are. But when I knew you, when you take all those layers away, you are first a child of God who weeps for her savior. Mm. And he got to be a part of that because he a long time ago decided, I am sacrificing for something more worthy and more important. It's beautiful. You know, what Jasmine's gonna talk about in just a minute is uh, one of the things that I've been praying for for a long time because traditionally uh, people that ran kids ministries the most difficult part is to get volunteers and to get people that want to pour in and invest and make our children's ministries, not just something that's manned or childcare, but dynamic. Um, and I told Jasmine when she was telling me this summer, some of the challenges of getting uh, volunteers that would buy into this vision is just not a lot of volunteers. And I said, we just need to bring it to the whole church. And we need to tell all of y'all, hey, wouldn't it be great if her job was which volunteers does she not use this week? Because we all care about what's happening uh, with our children. And I said, so Jasmine, just come and tell us. Like, we want to be the church. We want to live like the church. So tell us what you need from us. And behold, the answer to all your prayers. Yes. All right. So here, you look up here at this slide, guys. And I am faithfully asking that through these next three weeks, I'm going to get 30 new volunteers in classrooms. And um, here's the thing, and I'm going to be real honest. And I think I should have said this before sometimes this, hey, if you're visiting Midtown today, I'm so glad you're here and welcome. And know that part of this feels a little bit like family business. We are not asking you to serve. <laughs> so don't worry. You are welcome here. Come here. I don't know. We may have a spectacular... <laughs> visitor here today. I'm yeah, I don't know. More but I, I feel like I want to say that because I tend, who, who I am is I get real honest up here and I'm going to get real honest. You know, I need 30 new volunteers and a lot of times um, we hear these, we get pumped up and excited and I'll get 30 today. Yep. And then in about two weeks, I got two. Two weeks? Two weeks. All people don't follow through. They don't, yeah. <laughs> um, it's hard. And so I know that it can be scary to try something new. I know. And it's, and it's hard. And it might be hard when you do it for a while. Um, but give me a year. It's not a lot. It sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Give me a year. Settle in. See what the Lord is going to do. He will not come back void. That time will not be void. But sometimes we've got to push through some uncomfortableness and hard things. So, Stick around, I guess is what I'm saying, and see what happens. So 30 new volunteers. I'm going to just talk to you a little bit about the difference between a lead teacher and a volunteer. I'm asking for five lead teachers. Um, and these lead teachers, this is not for everybody. 
I, I know. These people serve every Sunday in one of the services, and they've just prayed about that. They've prayed about their families, and they're doing it. They come to one, they serve at the other. And so there's consistency. They're in the same classroom. And the story I told you before, that volunteer was that person for, I don't even know, 10 years. Yep. Um, Five new volunteers in nursery. So volunteers. That's not my gift, but that's, keep yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your gift? Yes. So nursery um, are our babies, yeah. our um, zero to two-year-olds. They're precious. And here's the thing. Also, I want to say with nursery, even though you don't really teach a lesson, um, you are serving the tired and weary parents at this place that get to give you a baby. I have... I have amazing empty nesters in there right now, and I don't know if she's here. Kind of hope Tara Blaze is here, but she looked at me. She came and said, "Put me in the nursery. I love a screaming baby." Oh all my her goodness. kids are gone. All her kids are gone. She goes, "I still have has trauma raised four from when our kids were little." Said, "Give so. me all the screaming babies." So maybe that's you. Maybe that's someone who's like, "That is my even just something you want to give to another parent." I'm just um, giving uh, lack of condemnation to everybody that's not called to that, all right? But you may be called to other things. All right, keep going. So we got two-year-olds. And yeah, then not we my got, call either, uh, Two-year-olds but... are fun. Our, they have a little lesson. Our threes in pre-K are where it gets exciting. Yes, and you're like teaching. The they move downstairs for worship. Potty They're three. doing crafts. They're doing like the watermelon and ice cream sundaes. That's it. where it gets exciting. Yep. And then our elementary um, classrooms that do have lead teachers, we also need some more at the 1030, the service, and we need just helpers in there. Um, and then to, next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about this Kid Town worship, but we, Kevin and I are really wanting a team, and you don't have to be some great, amazing musician. You could be like Randy. <laughs> you can... <laughs> I deserve that so much tonight. Okay. Every week well. he tries to get on the worship team. So. <laughs> one day. One day. One day. I know three chords. You could be on the Kid Town worship hey, team. Hey, all right. It is no just thanks. about having fun and leading songs. And we'll talk more about that. And then, y'all, this, whew, this last one, I'm prayerful and I know the Lord has someone for us. Yes. But we need a Kid Town director of operations. It's a great job. I'm super fun to work with. This is a paid job. It is a paid job. Like a half a million a year. I mean, <laughs> I'm flexible. Free childcare on Sundays. <laughs> we don't do childcare. We don't do childcare, you're right. <laughs> Free worship. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay, so you guys are going to, if you look at your seat in the next slide, kind of tells you how you can participate. These are ways to serve. Um, so you, I know it says gold, silver, bronze. You know, it's the Olympics of service here at Midtown. I'm not trying to shame anybody, so please don't email me. I just did it for fun. And listen, I, I want to say that participation trophy truly is very important. When you even mark that, you're telling me, I see you and I see this ministry and I am praying and it matters. Yeah. I'll, I, I, that matters to me. So it's just a little cheeky way to do it. Nice. Um, so you got the gold, which is what I said, you want to be a lead teacher. Silver um, is a more elevated volunteer. Maybe you serve more often than four to six weeks and you want to be in the same classroom and really get to know those kids. Then you have the bronze, which is um, our volunteers that serve every four to six weeks, which I'm going to tell you right now, real talk. If you're a parent in this room, you better be bronze. Ooh. Hang on. Here we go. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I got rid of my kids, so... <laughs> 
But yeah, that is, that's it. So guys, uh, you know, this is a lot of fun as we talk, but what, and this isn't just a long commercial. This is about, we're a family. And as a family, um, we're facing challenges in caring for our children. As you can tell, we have so many of them. And we're asking all of you to consider caring about that. Um, that this isn't your staff's problem. This isn't something we can just hire to. That we're the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, this is what we're doing. This is who we are. And so we're just stopping everything and going, in light of the return of our groom, uh, as the family of God, let's be the family of God. And let's join the dance of lights in celebration that the one who has set us free is coming back for us one day. So let me pray for us and I'll pray for Jasmine. Lord, thank you for this tremendous leader you've given us. Thank you for the gifts that uh, she has in humor and in fun and also seriousness and the weightiness of what she does. It's so rare. It's so rare to have such a strong leader uh, to lead us and we thank you for that. Now I pray for us, Father. Uh, I pray that we would all pause and consider um, how we're giving time and space to the work of your church here in this, in this building on Sunday mornings, this place we call our church. And Lord, would you stir us to meet the needs of Jasmine? I pray that more than 30 would come out of um, even this service, that our prayer ministry and prayer warriors in this room would lift up our children and all the people that are working with them. And Lord, we'd begin to see fruit of that ministry in the lives of these young people that call Midtown their home. Thank you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.